Ladies and gentlemen, how you doing tonight? Make some noise in the house if you're good. We'll try that again. I said make some noise in the house if you're good. There we go. Good to see all of you. Look like you took a shower today. That's a good thing, you know, and uh, brush your teeth, you know. You're looking good. You're looking good. If this is your first time here, allow me to introduce uh, myself. My name is Jay, and I had the privilege of uh, leading this ministry as the BCM director. Sounds pretty fancy. All it honestly just means is I'm the lead servant here in the ministry. And so uh, I wake up with a passion every single day, a real passion, not a manufactured one, but to uh, think about, man, how we can inspire you, how we can serve you and inspire you to live full and to die empty. And uh, you just need to know that we make a big deal about a couple things here in our ministry. We make a big deal about you, regardless of who you are, where you come from, if you like country music. Anybody like country music in the house today? Anybody? Come on. Okay. I, I see you. I see you. Give me a song in country real quick. What's, what's a song that comes to here real quick? A country song real quick, huh? We family. What is it? What? I thought I heard, I'm a redneck woman. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, um, or if you like hip-hop, anybody like hip-hop in the house? Might like hip-hop, hip-hop music, old R&B? Yes. What about jazz music? Jazz music? Yeah. Chicken fries. What are you talking about? What about, uh, what about just like regular old, just classic, classical music? Anybody like that? You know? Yes. I see you. That person was really excited. Security? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So... Regardless of who you are, where you come from, your story, uh, listen, we want you to know that you are welcome here. We want this to be a safe place. And you probably recognize when you walk in the doors, there's a banner that purposely says, what does it say? Welcome, what? Home. So you only have to be here, visit one time for this to become your family. So this is your first time here. We're grateful that you are here. We also make um, a big deal about one name here. It isn't the BCM. It isn't Jay Sanders, certainly, and if you know me, you've heard me say this before, I'm a scrub, okay, and so are you. We make a big deal about the name of Jesus, and many people in this room, lives have been transformed by the person of Jesus, and because of what he's done for them, you're going to hear more about that tonight, and uh, we recognize that if you're here tonight, you may not necessarily believe in Jesus, and that is, that's fine, you don't have to believe what we believe to belong here, but we want you to know right from the very start that the reason why we sing passion the way that we do and the reason why we're able to love each other the way that we're able to love each other is because there's a man named Jesus who has changed our life, and we're crazy enough to believe he's able to change yours as well if you give him a chance to. We also make a big deal about one book here, and we try to spend time in this book every single week, and that is the Word of God. Can somebody say the Word of God in the house? The scriptures. And we believe that, man, as we spend time in God's word, it gives us a fresh perspective on life. It also transforms you and I from the inside out. In fact, the person who Jay Sanders is today is not the same person I was a year ago or several years ago. And it's because of God, man, using his word to transform my life. This is not a dead book. It is alive. Anybody? How many know this is an alive book? Somebody in the house? Come on. It's an alive book. And uh, it has the power to transform in our life. Well, tonight is a little bit different, and we're going to uh, have a conversation about mental health, uh, specifically focusing in on uh, two topics of anxiety and depression. And I do 
want you to know even ahead of time that we may even touch uh, on um, a topic as well that is so very real, probably to so many of us in this room. Maybe you know someone, maybe you've battled with this before, and that is a topic of, of suicide. You don't really need me to tell you uh, this. You probably already know this, especially after the last year and a half, that people are more anxious and are battling with depression than ever before. There are people that we, you and I, we know and love that are suffocating with, man, depression and anxiety. I learned a couple of things that I wanted to share with you real quickly before we jump into our conversation tonight. According to National Institute of Mental Illness, one in four persons has a family member struggling with health issues. One in 10 children and youth has a serious mental illness condition. Fewer than one-third of adults and one-half of children who live with mental health needed to receive any level of treatment in any one year. Mental illness is a real issue, and we want you to know tonight that there is also I mean, real hope for those who are battling. Somebody say hope. In fact, one of my prayers um, coming into our talk for tonight is that the folks would leave here tonight infused with hope and maybe begin that process of healing um, in, your, in your life. How many of you, just by the show of hands, you... Either you know of someone, maybe you have been that person even in your own life that you know have battled with their mental health. Come on, raise your hand in the room. Look at that. Just look around the room. You can see there's many hands uh, that are in this room. And my hand is up as well. There's folks that are very close to me, folks that I grew up with um, who have battled with this. And uh, I want you to know I'm not some licensed counselor. I want you to know that ahead of time. All right. Not some uh, professional uh, but I have been invited, okay, uh, two friends uh, who are coming by way through live stream uh, here tonight that I want to introduce you to that are going to, I'm going to just talk to you, we're going to have a conversation about this topic of mental mental health. And uh, they're going to be on the screen actually here in just a few moments, I believe. And um, this is, uh, first of all, I'm going to introduce you to Miss Chrissy Lane Garland and uh, Chrissy, I know you don't know this, but they can actually see you now. They can see you as well, Rob, on the screen here. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Chrissy. Chrissy Lane Garland is a licensed professional counselor, a mom, a widow, a mental health advocate and speaker. Chrissy grew up in ministry and has an extensive background working in the field of behavioral health. She has partnered with local churches and ministries around the world to help educate others in understanding mental illness in a biblical and practical way. So would you welcome, first of all, Miss Chrissy here on the screen real quick. <laughs> Chrissy, your background was cool. It looks like you, you added a plant or something. So there you go. <laughs> I did add a plant to make, it, make me as cool as Rob. There you go. Uh, and then we have uh, Pastor Rob. Pastor Rob Phillips is a pastor, a conference speaker, a survivor of clinical depression and ministry burnout. He holds a doctorate of ministry and pastoral ministry and writes from over 25 years of full-time ministry um, experience. And uh, would you welcome Pastor Rob uh, here with us as well tonight. So Chrissy is in Texas. Anybody from Texas in the, in the house or know someone from Texas? There you go. Great Mexican food in Texas. And then, uh, and then we've got Rob, who is in upstate uh, New York. And uh, 
Okay, got one person there. Okay, let's cheer you on, Rob. And so something that is really cool about Rob, first of all, Rob has an amazing father whose name is Tom Phillips. And Rob's father, by far, is one of those men who has had a forever impact in my life. He believed in me. He poured into me. I got to share my life with him when I was in college. And it's who God used, really, to lead me into full-time ministry. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm even standing before you today. And so... Um, I love his father, and I love um, and just uh, Rob and his family um, as well. So we're going to put um, about 30, about 40 minutes, excuse me, on the clock, and we got several questions that we want to, uh, to tackle uh, here tonight. You do need to know that this conversation is also being podcasted, and uh, on our social media, you'll be able to um, and check that out later on. So Rob and Chrissy, you recently co-authored a book named Open Letters to Our Fellow Fighters. And um, I have personally have read this book here. You'll find out more how you can grab this book later on if you want to as a resource. But why don't you go ahead and um, we'll start off with you, Rob, and tell us why was writing this book extremely personal um, for you? And I mean, why put it out in the first place? Rob? Well, in the book, I, I start by sharing my story, uh, and that's really what it is, a book of stories of fellow fighters who are fighting um, cl- clinical-level mental illness. And, uh, you know, my, my own struggle started as, as very young, um, and I am, a, to be real honest, and, and I'm, I don't mind sharing this because I put it in public in the book, I've struggled with uh, suicidal thoughts since I was very young. Um, due to some um, unfortunate circumstances of being molested as a kid. Uh, that was never resolved or dealt with. Uh, I entered into ministry, and I had some really tough ministry experiences. Uh, back in 2016, uh, began to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder and burnout, and it actually affected my speech. I was slurring my speech. Uh, I was losing my – I was actually up teaching one day, and all my words were gone. I had nothing coming out of my mouth. Uh, and had a, a massive panic attack. And that's when I realized I was in trouble. And, you know, as a pastor, I was really concerned about the stigma that was going to come in having to be honest about mental illness. Um, but I, I went into counseling uh, for six months and began to uh, really recover. And, and one of the most amazing things that my counselor said to me, he said, because I, I looked at him and I said, I said, Dr. Kenring, I, I have no time for this. I am too busy to struggle with mental illness. You've got to fix me. And he said, we're not here to fix you. We're here to understand why you're broken and how God can use your brokenness. And that began a journey of realizing that my brokenness wasn't something to be ashamed of. It was something to understand and utilize uh, both to help people understand the goodness of God and the grace of God in the gospel, but also to encourage other people. And that began this venture of finding other people who were suffering and asking them to share their story. Uh, in that time frame, um, I, I found out that Chrissy had lost her husband to suicide. And I'll let her share Eric's story a little bit. But Eric and I grew up together in a, in a youth ministry, actually uh, the same youth ministry Jay that you used to work with. And we never knew that each other had these same mental battles. And, and we just, I wonder if we had a chance to talk, if I had realized I wasn't alone, if he had realized he wasn't alone, if we had been allowed to talk about these things in the church back then, 
would Eric still be alive today if he was able to get help? Uh, and so I called Chrissy and I said, Chrissy, are you willing to, to work with me on this book? I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm not a licensed counselor. I do a lot of counseling. Um, Chrissy is a licensed counselor. And so I knew she needed to be a part of this project. And so that's how we kind of collaborated and got the, the project started. Good stuff. Chrissy, why don't you just share a little bit? Yeah, I'll just add on to that. Um, we were in ministry, my husband and I, and we battled in silence. He struggled with depression, anxiety, and we hid it for a really long time. We tried to figure it out. We um, thought it might be a spiritual issue, so we attacked it from that uh, point of view. And... Um, really just struggled in silence and kept it silent until it couldn't be silent anymore. And um, he began showing physical signs of, of that depression, of that anxiety and the mental battle that he was struggling with. And that came out in physical ways. He had the shingles. Um, he also was diagnosed with cancer. And in the midst of that, he became addicted to opioids. And I loved um, that, that girl's testimony. I didn't get to see her face, but I heard your heart. Um, but it, it does coincide together, this mental illness, this addiction. And we didn't know how to deal with it. We didn't know how to talk about it. These are things that we as believers have not talked enough about and church leaders. And so when he took his life, um, I decided to step out of shame, step out of hiding and start talking about our story, our experience. And in doing so, uh, Rob called me and he said, hey, let's change the stigma. Let's talk about this amongst believers that it's not just a spiritual issue and we shouldn't have to hide in shame and help help the evangelical community really understand what mental illness is. And of course, I was on board with that. And um, so we started this project and and God built this book. And so let me ask you this question. Why do you think that this whole topic of, of mental health, depression, anxiety, um, you know, has it's had such a stigmatism around it, specifically in the local church. And uh, do you think that that's changing? You know, Jay, there's a, there's a real misunderstanding that mental struggles, and we talk mostly about anxiety and depression, have to do with a, a sin problem or a faith problem. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't have to do with a sin problem or a faith problem. If you live uh, for the world and you say you have pledged your allegiance to God, the Bible says you're going to have struggles, and that can cause depression and anxiety. But there are so many people like me, like Eric, who have other underlying issues going on, and what we're afraid we're going to hear is, well, this is your problem. If you would just have more faith, if you would just be happy, if you would just have the joy of the Lord, you'd be fine. And it's just dismissed. And then you add into that idea, well, well what if I actually need to be on medication? And I'm a, I'm a medicated pastor. I think people are shocked when I tell them I'm a, a medicated pastor. And they say, well, where's your faith? You're not supposed to struggle. You're a pastor. You're supposed to help everybody else not struggle. And so we've stigmatized deeply the reality that some of us have some real deep-seated issues that are either caused from, from hurts and wounds or just a chemical imbalance uh, that aren't necessarily because of active sin in our life. Hmm. That's a tough thing to overcome. Yes. Christy, you mentioned how you and your um, husband were involved in ministry together. 
and uh, specifically in the local church, um, which should be the safest place for anyone struggling with anything. Um, and yet, obviously, um, Eric didn't feel that way. Can you, can, you kinda, can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I think we both grew up in ministry, and I found that with a lot of people who do grow up in ministry and in, in the church feel like to be a good Christian, you have to have it all together. And um, there's a high expectation on us as believers to that if we're believers, we we have to be close to God. And if we're close to God, then our lifestyle, we won't struggle with these things. And that's just not true. And, and like Rob said, we we as Christians do suffer. That That's guaranteed to us um, here on earth. Um, but we're conditioned to believe that if we're struggling, then something's wrong with us. And so admitting that struggle, especially as a pastor who has this purpose to help other people, um, it's, it's very difficult to do so because people don't know how to handle it. They don't know um, how to react. And I think that's that's something the church is learning to do, hopefully learning to do, is to say, hey, our pastors are struggling, our church leaders are struggling, and it's okay. The church is not just for the sheep. The church is for the shepherd. It's for us all. And we're, we're all broken, and we all need God's grace, and we all need love and support, and the church is where we should find that. And that, that wasn't our experience, and that's why we're talking and having these conversations so that we can change that. Yeah. Uh, can you kind of give us a, a working definition? Like, what is the difference between anxiety and depression? Okay. Well, honestly, anxiety and depression really do coexist in, in most people. So if you're experiencing one, you usually experience the other, but they manifest themselves differently. So someone who is experiencing anxiety, um, it's usually shown through nervousness and fear. And physically, it's um, just tension in your chest and, and that feeling of just that feeling of constant fear when you walk into places. And depression is um, kind of goes a step further. It's that feeling of of sadness and hopelessness and negative, constant negative self-thinking and and negative self-esteem and lack of motivation. And so you can kind of see the difference between the two, but also they really do coexist as well. That's very good. You, you being the counselor, I want to ask you this next question. How, how do we know, how would anyone know uh, if they should seek counseling or therapy? In all honesty, I think we should all seek counseling or therapy, (laughs) (laughs) even if we're not in crisis mode, because, I mean, scripture even talks about a multitude of counselors and and having that support. And I believe even if you're not in crisis, even if you're not in a state of, of trauma or something didn't happen to you, you should still consider counseling because that, um, Christian perspective, that support, um, we're not meant to live life alone. We're meant to talk about our, our, our stuff, our business, and our, our inner feelings and thoughts. And so I will just say I think everyone should be in counseling. But um, if you feel like you have experienced some of these symptoms, I've talked about just that hopelessness and that sadness for long periods of time and lack of motivation, self-esteem, and um, 
then yes, definitely seek counseling. And also, if you've gone through something that's really hard, it's okay if you can't fix it yourself. <laughs> it's okay because I think a lot of us, we think we can and we really try and we fail, which leads us to feel like failures and leads our um, original feelings to even worsen. So um, it's okay if we can't fix it ourselves and we pursue counseling. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Christy. I mean, I personally have uh, a biblical counselor and uh, who's, man, has been the bomb, has been life-giving, uh, you know, for me. And um, I know at first, uh, taking that step into counseling, I was a little weary, you know. I was a little weirded out, just not quite sure, um, you know, what I was stepping into. But it just ended up being man, a, a great thing uh, uh, for me personally. And I would say to you, even for those of you who are um, in the room uh, here tonight, afterwards, if you need some, uh, a list of local counselors, uh, just some counseling resources, uh, please come and connect. I'd love to man, pass it on um, to you. I was thinking about Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. You know, where it talks about, it says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If another, if any one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble, is in real trouble. Rob, obviously, you got to a crisis point. You even talked about, even when you got to that point, you said, I don't have time for this. But um, how have you experienced hope and healing through counseling yourself? Well, I have to tell you, in, in the three years it took us to write this book, and it was only supposed to take two years, COVID hit in the middle of it and just slowed the whole process down. During that three years, um, and Chrissy, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in our circles, we lost six or seven pastors to suicide or pastor's wives. Yes. Um, COVID just took everything to a whole nother level of depression and anxiety. For me, when I was finally honest, and, and I couldn't help but be honest because the whole church watched it happen. They watched the meltdown. I, can't, I could not believe how many people in my congregation came out and said, I thought I was the only one. Hmm. And I suddenly did not feel alone anymore. Um, I had a whole church of broken people loving me through my brokenness. I did not expect that. And I'm so thankful because it allowed me the freedom to be honest with my congregation. I needed patience. I needed time. I needed understanding. Um, and I needed people just to love me through that. Uh, so that was, that's been the biggest gift is I don't, I don't feel alone in this anymore. And that's, that's why we wrote the book. We, you don't have to be alone yeah. in your struggles. Uh, it's not even just about counseling. It's about being honest with people, the people who love you the most. That wasn't me. <laughs> It's real life, real life. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Um, is there a difference between therapy and Christian counseling? I'll let Chrissy answer that. She's the professional. <laughs> well, Christian counseling is therapy. Um, and of course, I'm going to encourage anyone, if they're looking into therapy, to go to a Christian counselor. Because what's so great about Christian counselors who are licensed is they, they understand the world view of what psychology is, of what the brain does, of what the body does when it comes to mental illness, but they also have that biblical foundation. And that's who we are, right? Like our faith and the gospel is who we are. And so we need both 
to um, we need a counselor who has the experience of both to really help us. So is there a difference? Yes, in a sense, but Christian, I would always go for a Christian counselor so that you can get an understanding of everything. So good stuff. So what is my role with someone who struggles with anxiety and depression? What would you say? How would you answer that? I, you know, with years of schooling and knowledge, it's such a simple answer to that question. And that is, and I, I tell people this all the time, sit on the bench with them. Hmm. And we don't have to have the answers. We don't have to have all the knowledge and we don't have to have the right words to say, because most of the time our words um, fall flat or short um, because the pain is so deep and real with someone but your presence matters. The fact that you can say, I don't know exactly what you're struggling with, but I'm going to be here for you and I'm not going to leave you. And I always say, ask questions, don't make comments. Mm. Ask questions about what they're going through and what they're experiencing. Um, don't make comments based on your experience or um, based on something you learned, but if you ask questions, it helps someone else who is struggling be able to talk talk it through and talk about it. And then from there, you can have a better idea on how to support them. Mm. Rob, I know in the book uh, that you uh, co-authored here, you your wife even shared her perspective, right, um, of uh, watching you. Um, go through your whole battle of anxiety and depression. And so uh, how would you say she encouraged you um, through that season? Well, the hard part, and she's listening to me right now, so I got to say all the right things. <laughs> um, she admits this in the book. The hard part is, and this is exactly what Chrissy was talking about, um, in, in love, because she cared about me, she had a lot to say. Um, but those weren't the things I needed. And, and she, in essence, became a trigger for me for a little while. And actually, my counselor, we, we had a session together, and he said, Annie, I, I'm saying this in love. You're triggering your husband. Um, and so we had to work through, just like she said, learning what to ask and learning when not to say anything. You know, Chrissy was talking about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is looking at someone and saying, you know, I'm really sorry for you. you this must really be painful. And empathy says, not only am I sorry for you, I'm going to sit with you here and feel your feels. Mm. And a lot of times that just means sitting and being quiet with someone. That's the hardest thing for a, a wife like mine who just wants to fix all your problems, just to sit and let you struggle and just say, I love you and I'm here, was really devastatingly hard for her. But, but she did learn how to do that um, until I was in a healthy enough place where we could actually talk and I knew what I was actually going through. So it was, it's a difficult process to love somebody through this. Tell Annie I said hello, but she's there. She can hear me. Oh, she's oh. listening. She says hi. Hi, Annie. Good to see you. Not see you, but uh, good to know you're there. So often um, we're most in tune uh, with our feelings, but not the powerful thoughts that are behind our feelings. You know, you think we are what we think. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Um, so Pastor Rob, I'll throw this one to you real quick. Yeah. Can you speak to the power of the mind and just our thoughts real quick? 
So in the book, I talk, uh, I do a little section of theology on dichotomy versus trichotomy. It's really a, a boring subject for theology nuts. Um, but it's actually a really profound um, understanding of mental brokenness. And here's the argument. Are we two people inside of us? Or are we three people? All right. Uh, am I just an inside and an outside, a flesh and a soul? Or is there something more to me? And I make the case for both. Uh, both help you understand mental illness. But personally, I see us as three parts because God is three parts. He's a trinity and he's made us in his image. Now, here's why that's important to me. All right. We can look at physical issues. All right. Cancer. We heard uh, the young lady talk about cancer. My daughter had cancer, uh, thyroid cancer this summer, and, and half of her thyroid was removed um, with the cancer. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute because that's an important um, testimony to, to understand. But we can recognize stuff in your body and we can deal with it. Um, and we understand the soul. All right. So my body is going to be redeemed. I'm going to get a new body. Jesus died for that body. Right. And my soul is eternal, and God plants a new soul inside of me. Galatians, Ephesians talk about that, and that connects to God the Father. But we also have a Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, speaks to my mind. That's the third part of me. In fact, Jesus said, love God with your heart, your soul, and your mind, all three parts, and then he said to do it with all your strength. Now, if my mind is broken, and I want to put things into practice that I'm being taught in counseling or in God's word or in church, but my mind is broken, can I really properly put things into practice? If I've got major mental hurdles to get through, or can I apply spiritual truth to my body and my lifestyle if I can't process properly in a broken mind? We understand that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all flesh was broken. We have disease, we have war, we have famine. We don't often understand that the mind was also broken. Hmm. And so sometimes if we don't deal with the mental battles, the mental um, uh, blockades in our life, we can't properly put into practice what we're reading in scripture into our physical life because we're too blocked up. We're struggling too much. We're not having healthy mental pathways. Every The Bible says everything comes out of the mind. In fact, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's talking about the inside of us driving the outside of us. So if the outside is broken and was broken because of the fall, certainly the inside was broken. Hmm. So sometimes we have to deal with our mental issues, our mental struggles, so that we can put into practice the spiritual truths to govern our body as well. That's so good. Put in just a biblical perspective into that, you know, Romans 12 talks about, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Mm -hmm. If if our thoughts, if our brain, if our mind didn't matter, then it would not be in scripture. God created it. And um, I, I, I love talking about how scripture really does play such a huge role in mental illness because um, even it talks about taking our thoughts captive. And you know, as a counselor, we, we simply call that cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, when your thoughts determine your behaviors and how your thoughts have, are so powerful and so impactful that your behaviors follow. And it's all throughout scripture how important it is just to renew our minds and our way of thinking um, so, so that we can heal, so that we can move forward. And, and so our book talks more about that too. Jay, to go back to my daughter, so after she had her thyroid, half of her thyroid removed, 
And my daughter has struggled with mental illness as well for years. And she had these high highs and these low lows. Um, when they got all of that, that cancer out and her thyroid, which produces a lot of the hormones in our body, was able to function properly, my daughter leveled right out without, it, without medication. She was a different, different girl. She's in her second year of college right now. She's a different kid. Um, but that tells you what was happening chemically was affecting her, her mental capacity, was affecting her feelings, and that was affecting how she behaved. Hmm. And so dealing with those chemical imbalances in her thyroid helped her mind, which ultimately helped her behavior. It's amazing. So good. Can you um, help us identify some general common negative thoughts that are destructive, specifically to a college-age student? Um, and then how do we combat them? My, both my daughters are in college. So I have um, a 22 or 20, I forget their ages, 22, 23-year-old daughter <laughs> who's married and in college. Uh, my younger daughter is in college. And then I have a nine-year-old son. He's the real reason I'm in therapy. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. Um, my daughters, the biggest thing they've helped me understand about college age uh, adulthood is that everything rises and falls on their social construct and their view of themselves within that social construct. Now, you probably have some philosophy students in there, and you guys know well that the, the French philosopher Descartes said, uh, I think, therefore I am. And then Spinoza, a few years later, says, well, let's talk about our feelings. And in essence, he said, I feel, therefore I am. Since that moment, all of our culture has been based on what I think about who you are and how you feel about what I think about you. Hmm. Or what do I think about me and how do I feel about that? And so we create narratives. Hmm. Now, the problem is social media amplifies false narratives. Hmm. Hmm. And so I've watched both of my daughters in college base what they feel about themselves and how they view themselves and what they think based on what they're seeing on social media. And most of that stuff is either five minutes of a larger context that isn't real or it's made up completely. Hmm. We, we put our best picture on Instagram. We put our best moment on TikTok or our best day on Facebook. And so I look at you and say, what am I missing here? And why wasn't I invited? And why doesn't my life look like that? And um, what, what's going on? And we create these narratives. Now, if you're struggling mentally already, that's like throwing gasoline on a fire. Mm -hmm. And so now my feelings get amped up based on what I'm seeing and what I'm putting into my, into my face. Hmm. What a powerful thought. I mean, social media amplifies false, false narrative. It really does. Yeah. Chris, would you uh, add anything to that? Or you say, nope, Rob, he covered it. <laughs> well, I mean, he covered it. I, I'm, I am, I can say it in more simplistic terms. He's, he's the theologian. And, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I meet with college age students all the time in counseling. And um, yes, I believe that our culture and social media has amplified um, all these things that we already feeling and, and the root, uh, the, the issues that it has amplified is issues with identity and, and loneliness and isolation and acceptance. And um, a lot of times I'm finding with college age students that I meet with is they can't even identify exactly what it is because it's so 
much. And so they come to me and say, I don't know what it is, but I'm feeling emotionally distressed. I just am. And I can't figure out why. And, and so we, we work through that, but, um, Yes, I believe our culture and social media amplifies these issues that we have already been struggling with, and those are the core issues. Mm-hmm. And our need You're for amazed. real community, our need for real community, too. Yeah, I'm amazed. College students spend so much time with other people, and yet they're so lonely. Mm-hmm. And you look and you think, well, how does that, how does that work? And it's because they're living life on a plutonic level, um, but I think college students from, from what this is from what my daughters have told me and from working in college ministry are probably more afraid of judgment than anybody else, because there's a, there's a persona and a standard that they have to meet in order to be accepted, accepted in their social construct. So if you already feel like it, and I hate to use this term, but I can use this myself. If you already, already feel like you're crazy because of the thoughts that go on in your mind, the last thing you want to do is to bring that out in public and hear, oh, yeah, you are crazy. Mm. Uh, that's a scary, that's a scary thought. How many of you in the room have ever felt lonely or you know someone that is a friend of yours that's battling with loneliness? Raise your hand in the room. Yeah, you guys can't see, but there's many hands all over um, the room. I want to mention a great verse, but a verse that can um, cause you to, to feel a little bit guilty, especially if you wrestle with anxiety. Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. He goes on, he talks about, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But the first part there, do not be anxious about anything. I don't know, um, there are times when I have read that in my life where I'm like, that's easier said than done, Paul. You know what I mean? And um, so how can someone who's dealing with severe anxiety, maybe you can unpack that a little bit more, not feel guilt over the verse that says, do not be anxious, but actually take a step forward. Um, I'll, I'll start and then turn the clinical part over to Chrissy, but here's the, here's the problem, okay? Um, Matthew 6, also, Jesus talks about not being anxious, and he says, how can you, you can't even add one hour to your life with your anxiety. The Greek word for anxiety used in the New Testament uh, and I want to I want to quote this exactly right. Um, it means to be pulled in two different directions because of a conflict of interest. Hmm. So w- when the New Testament is dealing with anxiety, it's dealing with allegiances. It's talking about the reality that we know God loves us. We know God has a plan for us. We know God has a specific way He wants us to walk. And yet sometimes we want to be our own God, and we're going to walk this way, and that causes turmoil. Uh, the Bible talks about not being lukewarm, not, not riding the fence, be hot or cold, either all in with God or all out, because it understands that you can't be another verse that says don't serve God and money. Right. This idea of two different um, ideals. And so when it's talking about peace in Scripture, it's saying if you want to have the peace that God wants you to have, your allegiances have to be true to God. You can't live for God and live for yourself at the same time. But that's not dealing with clinical anxiety. You know, here's the issue. Sometimes my thoughts and my actions cause my feelings of anxiety, but sometimes my feelings of anxiety inform how I think. Mm-hmm. Great example, when we had to start wearing masks, uh, and in New York, we're locked, we've been locked down for almost two years now. We, we're one of the strictest states. 
but we had to wear masks everywhere for like six months. And I kept having panic attacks in places like Walmart and Target. And I'm like, what is going on? I've been through therapy, I'm better now. And what was happening was my body was remembering what it felt like to feel like I couldn't breathe and struggle with oxygen. And it was saying, oh, this is a panic attack. You've had this before. And that was causing me to think fearful, anxious thoughts. It was my feelings informing my mind. That's not a, a biblical struggle with God in my life. That's a, that's a mental turmoil caused by wounds and scars in my life. And so this is about order. Mm-hmm. If it's clinical, sometimes our feelings are affecting our thoughts. And that's why we need therapy. That's why we need help. Sometimes we're choosing to live as we, if, if we are our own gods. And when you live as if you're your own God, but you've pledged your allegiance to God, you're not going to live in peace. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Chrissy? And, and something that you just talked about, Rob, was the physical aspect of anxiety. Um, that we, when we struggle with anxiety, we can feel it physically. And, and that in itself says it's not just a spiritual thing. It's not just a mental thing. It's a holistic thing. Our, and, and what you were talking about is muscle memory. Like sometimes if we've experienced trauma of any kind and we are faced with anything that our body remembers about that trauma, we, our body reacts to it. And sometimes it takes our mind to catch up with our body to realize, oh, wait, this is why. And a lot of times we don't even get to that point. We just see the fear. And that's what we see when we have anxiety attacks or when we're experiencing anxiety is, is fear. And... Um, and that's why there's so many great grounding tools and things like that to help physically with anxiety so that you can get to a place mentally to acknowledge, okay, what is going on? And to, to go in prayer and say, okay, God, what is going on? Um, and we have to understand that all these things play a role in it. It isn't just, don't be anxious. Scripture tells us this. So, um, we're disobeying God. If we're being anxious, that that's not how it works. Um, and and I want to just touch on um on the issue of shame i think sometimes when when we read a scripture that is supposed to encourage us like i quote that scripture to myself when i'm feeling anxious like don't be anxious about anything but in everything um by prayer and supplication you know the verse and um i use it to encourage myself when i am feeling anxiety but then i've also seen the other side of it where my late husband would be like, okay, the scripture says this, therefore something is wrong with me. Therefore I need to figure this out so that I can be right with God. And, and that's not what the scripture is meant to do. It's not, it's not, our scriptures are not meant to make us feel that shame. God wants us to use them to encourage us but God also gives us all these other resources to understand um, so that we can come to him in prayer. And we can come to him if we feel anxious. We can come to him when we're depressed. And he accepts us exactly how we, how we are because he made us. He made us and he loves us exactly how we are. So good. I have a few more questions and then we'll be uh, finished here. People fall on the spectrum from I had a bad day to I want to take my life. Uh, let's just start, first of all, with just a bad day. How, how can people who have had a bad day, and maybe there's some folks in the room today, you've had a bad day, but you're here. How can someone who has had a bad day acknowledge it, sit in it for a moment, and then take a step forward without coping in unhealthy 
ways, overeating, looking at pornography, etc. And that's hard. Um, that's hard because we all have bad days and we, we do have to sit. And I, I think just acknowledging sitting in stillness and quiet is, is a lost art right now. It just is. We're, we're so busy. There's so much we have to do. And oftentimes when we are experiencing a bad day and all the effects from this bad day, depression, anxiety, um, or crying or, or whatnot, um, the last thing we want to do is sit in it. But that might be the most healthiest thing that we can do. Um, and, and something we learn as counselors is to be okay with silence. And Anyone who knows, who knows me or comes to me for counseling, I'm the worst at silence because I want to feel that void. I don't want to feel um, any awkwardness or any pain. Um, and, and so I think, first of all, it's, it's important to allow ourselves to be okay to sit in stillness and silence and say, okay, was this a bad day? Is this a pattern? Is, is this something that has been a long time where I've experienced these, these feelings and these thoughts? And, and, and again, if you're struggling with mental illness, that's going to be very difficult. But I think it's important to start there. Um, and also, a lot of the younger people that we see that are taking their lives, um, sometimes the things that go with, through are so devastating that they think this is the only way is to take their life. Mm. And I think that if we continue these conversations like this one tonight and we, we step out of shame, we step out of darkness into light and we actually share about it, then we'll be able to discern better if it's a bad day um, or if this is something we need to seek help for. But I will be very blunt and very real that taking your life no matter how bad the day, no matter how much you're struggling, should never be an option. It just shouldn't. And I speak from experience and um, just from the stories I hear from other people that no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're struggling with, that should never even enter your mind. And if it does, then, then get rid of it or go seek help or talk to somebody about it. So I don't know if you want to add to that, Rob. Yeah, and you're you're looking at someone on the screen who has suicidal thoughts to this day, um, weekly. It's become a, a trench, we call it trench thought. Um, it's become rough thought for me uh, because I've traveled down that mental pathway so many times that it's a, it's a pathway that's well-worn. And so it's always something that I'm having to inform and speak into. Uh, Jay, you referenced Philippians 4. If you read on in Philippians 4, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And that's a passage about depression, anxiety, and seeking peace. One of the things we talk about in cognitive behavioral therapy is um, this idea of replacement, replacement therapy. Uh, and, and one of the things I like to do with, with people I'm counseling with is they say, okay, think about the number seven. Uh, so actually don't think about the number seven for a minute. And I ask him, to, and, I, and I just kind of talk about the number seven and it doesn't work. And then I say, okay, I want you to think about the number eight for a minute. And I talk about the number eight. And then I say, did you think about the number seven? No, I was thinking about eight. That's a great example of what the Bible talks about. You, you can't get lost in your experiences. And by the way, this experience you're having in this moment may not be the defining experience of the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. 
We tend to go very dramatic very quickly. So the Bible says, yeah, there's going to be very traumatic experiences, but to live your life in that experience, the only way out is to replace that thought with constructive thought. And the Bible gives some great examples of constructive thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a great example of a Christian counselor utilizing uh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or trauma-focused cognitive Mm -hmm. behavioral therapy. I have two more questions for you, uh, you guys, tonight. One is, and I know this is a question that actually I've been asked from some of our students really to ask you tonight. And Rob, you kind of touched on it earlier, but uh, is, it, is it okay to use medicine for um, mental illness, for depression, for anxiety? Yeah, here's the thing. It's, it's right when you've had a doctor understand your your physiological issues and understand you're deficient and prescribe medication. It's not okay to self-medicate. And and here's the thing. I counsel with people a lot who say, well, if I go on medication, I'm not going to be the truest version of myself. No, you aren't the truest version of yourself. None of us can be. We're all broken because of the garden. We're all broken because of sin. But the same people that say, I'm not going to be the truest version of myself are getting drunk on the weekends Uh, are having a lot of sex, trying to feel better about themselves, uh, are exercising to release all the endorphins in their body to feel better, they're self-medicating anyway. So they're not the truest version of themselves. And so I'm, I'm very quick to say, yeah, there is there are need. I'm, I'm in need of medication, but I'm in need of medication for the right reasons in the right way. I don't need to self-medicate. If I'm self-medicating, I need to be in therapy and understanding what's broken about me. Mm-hmm. And I'll just I'll add this on because a lot of Christian circles, um, you know, we, we, we do hear Bible is enough and prayer should be enough. And um, if you're on medication, then, then you're less of a believer or you're not trusting God. And um, as someone who loves the Lord, who grew up in ministry, who has a clinical counseling background and also just a human who watched a man struggle. Um, I used to explain to my clients, medication is like you're in a, let's say depression is like you're in a deep hole and you can't see anything and it's dark and you can't even begin to know which direction to go. But sometimes in the right cases, medication can help someone be lifted to the light so they can see out of that hole and they can know which direction to go. And, um, and I just, that's how I explain um, how medication can help people. And, um, it doesn't mean you have to be on it forever. It just means it brings you to the light so you can see clearly so that you can walk in the right direction towards healing. Christy, real quick, can you, uh, I'll, we'll even get some more resources that we can put on our social media and our website, um, as well. But if someone tonight, um, wanted a resource, one, maybe they're considering taking, um, their life. First of all, you need to know that we're family. We're here for you, and we'd love to be able to talk to you, starting with me first. Um, but maybe someone, they didn't want to talk to somebody uh, physically in person, but maybe they were more comfortable with using their, uh, their cell phone. Um, how would you direct that person? Well, um, <laughs> reach out. Just reach out. Um, there are places you can reach out to. I can just never beg you enough to reach out. And if you feel comfortable, reach out to someone you love or trust. If you don't, there are resources out there. Um, 
the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And um, I can give you that number. You can share it with them after. But um, you can also, there's Remedy Live, which is just for younger uh, adults and, and teens. And, and you can Google that and, and you just text them and um, go from there. But just, just do it. If you're thinking about it, if you're struggling, and and again, I just want to say, just reiterate what Rob said too about like, your life is so much more than what you're dealing with right now, what is in front of you right now. And so if you just keep fighting, if you keep holding on, all you have to do right now is just reach out. That's it. Just reach out because your life is worth it. So, um, and, and Jay will give more resources, but, but there's, there's more and more out there for you, but Try to find your people. Try to find somebody that you trust to tell, like, hey, I'm struggling with this. What do I do? So good. Well, before we, uh, as we get ready to land the plane, um, we know that the, the gospel, man, it gives us hope and it brings about healing. And so as we land uh, the plane here tonight, I want to thank everyone in the room also for leaning in. We wanted to give the time and the space to, um, to this conversation we feel like it deserved. Um, but... Rob, could you just, uh, man, speak to that, how the gospel gives us, brings about hope and healing really in every area of our life, including uh, in this topic we talked about tonight? Well, I will say this, first of all, the Bible does speak um, to mental illness. We, we, it doesn't speak in the terms we use, but uh, just a couple places to start. Psalm 55, Psalm 56. Um, our psalms all about David's depression. In fact, in one of those psalms, in Psalm 56, David says, you've kept count of my tossings. You collected my tears in a bottle. You've written my hurts in your book. So we know the Bible is compassionate to mental struggles. We know that Jesus struggled in the garden, weeping tears of blood at what he was about to, to face. Uh, we know that in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh that he asked God three times to remove. And so we know the Bible is sensitive and kind to these struggles. And the reason it is, is because the Bible recognizes and recognizes and qualifies that we are all broken people. It doesn't matter what the brokenness has affected, whether it's outside or inside, it has affected all of it. And the Bible gives hope to our brokenness. If we weren't broken, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, I boast in my weakness because my weakness shows the sufficient power of Christ. If we weren't broken, we wouldn't need Jesus. But God wants us to need Jesus. God wants to be needed. He loves us. He paid the price for us. And so our brokenness allows us to be honest with our need, allows us to recognize that Jesus cares and loves us in our need, and then it allows us to exalt Christ in our weakness. I love being able to look at my congregation saying, you are looking and listening to a broken man who's been made whole because of Jesus. And I'm not even completely whole until I get to heaven someday. That's the future hope right? That I'm waiting for. I will always struggle on this earth, but the more I struggle, the more I get to experience Jesus' grace and his love and his sufficiency. And so without the gospel, none of this makes any sense. With the gospel, it makes a lot of sense because it allows us to lift our gaze beyond our brokenness of our, our life to the healing hope of Jesus Christ. So good. For those of you in the room, would you just bow your head and uh, close your eyes right where you are? Rob, I'm going to ask you right from where you are, so thankful for technology. Maybe there's a person that's here in the room um, tonight that they have tried everything uh, to bring about peace, hope, and healing that the world has to offer. But 
It's left them more hopeless, more empty. And they haven't tried Jesus. And so, uh, Rob, right from where you are, would you just uh, help that individual to know how they can have a personal relationship with Jesus and uh, begin that journey of, of healing and freedom in their life? perfect and yet you died a sinner's death would you apply your payment on the cross to my sin debt and would you allow me to be your child and would you take my sin and give me a righteousness so that I can be your child and would you heal me in my soul so that regardless of what's going on in my mind or my body I know that I can be in community with you and the Bible says when we are honest in that conversation when we ask for that help the Bible says that Jesus saves us by sending his Holy Spirit to live inside us and to heal us from the inside out and to be sure that we can spend eternity with him someday when we, when we die and leave this earth. And so that's the hope of the gospel. And that's how we ask for it. And that's how we have.